Hey, 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 welcome to the Fuss Marketing Podcast. We are back at it, and I couldn't be more grateful to have Renee Ramos on this time as we swing back into things. I think it goes without saying, a lot of us are uh, stuck at home and um, working hard to try and maintain some semblance of normalcy. And here at Fuss, we just took the opportunity to kind of dive back into a few of the things that we love, including podcasts. So I really loved getting Renee on here. Uh, he's a longtime friend, but this dude has the best job in the world and um, has gone to a ton of amazing things in the course of his career, uh, events, uh, sponsorships, um, just really great track record. So I was excited to have him on because these are all the things we can't do uh, right now. And I wanted to talk to him a little bit about why we miss it so much and what are the pros and cons of events marketing and experiential marketing and sponsorships and just get to catch up with a good friend. So hope you guys enjoy it, had a lot of fun doing it and look for more from us in the future. Stay safe out there. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. It was uh, a long day. It was one of those days where the kids just were not cooperating for the first part. If we they eventually cooperated, but it took a while. Yeah. What's cooperation look like? Uh, they're kind of entertaining themselves and not needing us like in the, in the middle of the mix or whatever. Um, Abby's relatively self-sufficient on those days and Austin is entertaining himself for the most part, but it's, uh, it varies. There's some days he's just like, he wants he wants to play with us and he wants to do stuff and he doesn't want to be by himself. That's just a little harder because it's just a yeah. It's like dude, like like five o'clock. I'm trying to like wrap something up and I'm like I just want to get this thing done so I don't have to work on it tonight because that's what life is right now. It's basically get as much as you can get done between eight and five, shut it down. You know, five thirty, be a parent like a full on parent for you know two and a half hours till bedtime put him to bed and then just get back to whatever it is that you were trying to do. And it sucks, man. It's just, yeah. that's the where it's on get, for a while. Do you think it's more or less hours than typical for you? Oh, it's more just because of the fact that I can't really efficiently get outside of conference calls and video calls. I'm not really getting real thinking done, like any critical thinking, anything that I have to, you know, communicate effectively or present on, you know, that stuff's not getting done in during the daytime hours. Cause during that period where I have a little bit of window to do something, I'm probably chasing after one of them or, you know, feeding them lunch or something like there's just not, there's not really like that time to be like, Oh, I'm going to focus on this PowerPoint for the next two hours or whatever. Yeah. How is your, uh, how's the team handling it? Like how, so what's the breakdown of the team right now? The team right now. So my team, uh, we have, what are we at now? God, I should know that number off the top of my head. Uh, we're about 35 people all in. Okay. And they are, so we have a, the breakout is my field marketing team, which is my regional marketing team that does uh, cheers, by the way. Cheers, buddy. Happy quarantine. Mm-hmm. It's Wednesday in, in quarantine land. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we have uh, actually now, now you've got me curious. So I'm going to look it up so I get the number right. But we have my field marketing team on the beer side and the wine and spirits side, uh, of which consists of individuals based all over the country that have responsibilities to regions. Uh, and we've got them scattered, I mean, everywhere. So it's, uh, let's see here, just because I want to get my numbers straight. Boom. So it's 32 people across the board. 15 that work directly on beer within regional or field marketing right. and then eight, eight that work on the wine and spirit side of the business uh, within regional. Okay. And then I have seven individuals that work um, across our, what we call lifestyle and experiential. So that's like our sponsorships, our activations that span across sports, music, entertainment, uh, lifestyle, marketing, cuisine, uh, strategic partnerships, like, you know, celebrity partnerships, things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not a small team and to keep up with everybody at home and to manage it. So I'm sure it's going to be insane. Yeah. It's a, it's a little insane. You know, fortunately it's a, it's a overall, it's a young team. So 
we do have people that are that are on the team that are parents and that are dealing with you know kind of what we're dealing with um we have a bunch of newborns relatively like we've got a few you know kids that are definitely under one because we had a we had a nice little the company had a nice little baby boom about a year ago you're about to have Uh, another one in january yeah, exactly. That and a bunch of divorces, I think. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it'll even uh, out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lots of extra time for some people, maybe a little bit less. <laughs> yeah, so it's been, uh, you know, I've been, it was weird. I Just by sheer timing, weird timing of this thing. Um, once a year, I do one-on-one check-ins at the beginning of every fiscal year with the team. Right. Everybody from associate level all the way up to my direct reports and it's a very informal conversation and it helps inform uh, what our summer meeting is going to consist of. So it'll be, uh, Hey, let's talk about like what you want to, what you want to get out of the summer meeting from a professional development standpoint, what guest speakers can we bring in on specific topics? Like, what do you want to learn more about? So let me, let me ask this question to set it up a little bit. So what are they, um, what are they asking for in these times? Like what's right now, you know, it's everyone's, uh, e-com, e-com is like the biggest thing right now. Uh, cause when you, you think it's about the shift. Of, yeah. What does that mean for them? Yeah. So, you know, e-commerce they're they want to learn more about that channel and how we can effectively go to market with it. So from an e-commerce standpoint, um, you know, given the situation that we're in and people trying to avoid basically contact as much as possible, um, that's become a channel that's really blown up for us. So, uh, we have, it's funny, we, we have a team that we've built for this and it's always been kind of like the oh yeah talk to the e-com team and like maybe we'll do some stuff around that right ever since all of this happened they're like the most popular kid in school because everybody right. wants to talk to them about hey how do we you know basically take what we were doing in the online in the offline world and bring it in the online like how do we do their promotions how do we layer um like with a ufc fight how do we create a value package that someone can go on drizzly and basically order like the Modelo ufc package where it's like you get a 12 pack of beer, you get, you know, blah, 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 all this other stuff already kind of pre-populated or on Instacart or whatever. So um, that's been, that's been kind of a big aha moment for a lot of people where uh, we had been talking about it for a while, but no one was necessarily doing anything like major with it. Right. Um, And now, you know, circumstances have changed that have forced people's hands on saying, okay, we have to adapt to consumer behavior. And Drizzly had, in back-to-back weeks, they had their biggest week as a company ever during that first week of shelter-in-place orders. Right. And then they broke it the following week when the shelter-in-place orders like became even more expansive. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's really interesting. Like it's not something I typically use, but um, just the popularity, the convenience. There, I mean, there is a service fee to it, but the, you just do that whole equation on like is, is like the proposition with the fees and everything. Does that offset the whole you know, me having to go out and take my time, you know, like put a price on your time, basically. And it's like, oh, someone can just do it, drop it off. And I don't literally don't have to make any kind of contact. Like, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, because it is we're in this weird space. I just went uh, to the liquor store yesterday or two days ago. And um, there's almost it's almost like there's a shame, <laughs> right? You're in there. Yeah. And you're kind of like, it's considered essential. But it's we all know it's not like really essential. Yeah. And I don't I don't know, man. I, you know, I'm talking to, everyone's like, I'm drinking more now than I ever have before. And I'm not well, talking yeah, about me. I'm, sure. just, I'm talking about everybody that's like, yeah, people with older kids, younger kids, no kids. They're just like, right. I just need something like people. There's some people that are just bored that are just drinking for whatever right. reason. Oh, and then you've got sure. other people. Yeah. Like me and Sarah, we don't drink a lot during the week at home. Like we're more of like a weekend, a couple cocktails on a Saturday night or whatever to just to cut loose uh, after the kids are in bed. And like, you know, put on Netflix or whatever and catch up on our latest shows or DVR. But like literally now, since this whole thing started, it's minimum like two drinks every night just to like decompress. Like it's like yeah. mandatory just because of the like the stress level that we're feeling as a constant throughout the day. Well, and it's you're not getting the um, you're not getting the physical uh, reciprocation interaction with people that relieves that stress, you know, it is, right. a, it is a tension release just to be around other people and to have camaraderie and we're all in this together. And, you know, even if you see stressful situations on other people's faces, you know, you're sharing in the moment and perhaps even the project of the problem. And yeah. I've been reading a lot of stuff on how, 
know, that's starting to eke away at, at people a bit. And, you know, they're starting to realize that they're more stressed, you know, in small, uh, you know, incremental ways every day. And they can't quite figure out why, because, mm -hmm. you know, they still have a job or they have, you know, most of their job considering where we are. And even if they're getting potentially asked to furlough or that, you know, they're feeling like, well, we're going to get through this, right? It might take a little bit of a hit this year, but I'm not going to lose my job or my house or anything like that. But right. why am I so, why am I so stressed? And if you're used to high energy and interaction and creativity and back and forth and all that, and you don't get it. You come to the end of the night and you go like, I missed something in my day today where we're engineered that way, or we have you mm -hmm. know, done it to ourselves. Right. So yeah, it's interesting. So the overall consumption up, but my point about the liquor store was I walked in and it's like this kind of un, uh, unspoken, like, we're just in here for a minute. Everybody's getting right. exactly what, they, what they're looking for. We're not screwing around and shopping for the latest trend of, you know, um, no, ready, to, yeah. ready to drink, you know, cans or that new craft beer or whatever. Like, I'm not, I'm going to my go-to. There's this wine I know I need to get. There's this yeah. bottle that, you know, I know will blast me. You know, I'm going to get a 12-pack, 24-pack, whatever it is. Yeah. I'm going to get the hell out of there and get home, right? Yeah. So the Drizzy or something else like that offers a different solution. So it's interesting. And you guys have to think about that every day. Yeah, because you can actually shop Drizzly without that guilt factor, right? It's like, right. I, I, yeah. And it's like, yeah. all right, I'll pay, I'll pay the convenience fee for that just right. so I don't have to have that awkward moment. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's funny that you say, you know, I'm going to go to my go-to because what we're seeing, what we've seen across beer, wine, and spirits is that people are absolutely going to trusted brands. Yeah. It's brands that you know, it's brands that you trust, it's brands that you personally would recommend or that you're comfortable. You're not anything that's launched right now, innovation wise, or anything that doesn't have a little bit of history, isn't going to get that random pickup um, that it normally would if someone was just cruising the aisle and suddenly got stopped by, you know, a display or a sampling station or something. So that's absolutely happening. And yeah. all the, all the big brands are feeling the major benefits of that, you know, including our brands across the board. Yeah. So um, give me some examples, like what's popping now that um, was either flat or, or minimal or like what, what have you seen a shift change in or yeah. your brand? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny, uh, Corona light, which has been a brand that's had regional strength, um, right. but it's not, it is not the biggest, uh, or I shouldn't say biggest, it's not the strongest brand in the in the Corona family, Right. Uh, had some of its best growth in years during this time frame. And I don't know if it was just because people know it and if they're just kind of lapsed drinkers or, you know, what was triggering that. But literally, we were looking at the numbers and we were like, we've been trying to figure out Corona light for, you know, years now. And it's a yeah. pandemic for it to just- You just like, needed a disease. <laughs> yeah, I just needed a pandemic for the thing to hit a meteoric rise. And we're like, yeah. wow, that's insane. So uh, Corona Extra for as much grief as, you know, the unfortunate naming of, of the virus initially in the news media had. Yeah. Uh, Corona Extra felt great impact from people going back to brands that they know and trust again. Yeah. Uh, which was really great to see, you know, that that the small minority of people that were really just Twitter trolls, in my opinion, who probably didn't drink us to begin with, who were like, oh, Corona, you know, has something to do with the virus. Enough people, common sense prevailed where they were like, don't be dumb. Like, that is not the case. And, you know, fans of the brand, what we found is fans of the brands actually started drinking more of it. It was almost like, you know, screw that. Like, this is my brand and I'm proud of drinking this brand. Yeah. Um, so they were almost drinking more just out of, I don't know, out of like pride or despite people or whatever. And then you had some people that quite honestly were drinking Corona just because it was like, hey, like when college right. let out, yeah, we were seeing online that there was, you know, call, legal drinking age college students who were posting like, thank you, Corona, hashtag Coronacation. Yeah. Because uh, they, were, they were like, yeah, I'm on vacation now, you know, out of the semester. Oh, like early. They, had branded, they had branded it. Yeah. Yeah. They had branded it that. And then they were drinking Corona kind of an, an irony of it. It was like, oh, look at that. It's, you know, tongue in cheek. Right. Um, so we saw some of that. But no, I mean. Across the board um, in the industry for beer, you saw, you know, Bud Light was up, which historically over the last few years has not been the case. Miller Lite, Coors Light, which brands that you know well, um, that it had struggles in recent years, they all saw a pop. Uh, you know, as across the board we did. And then on the wine side, our biggest brands like Woodbridge, Mayomi, Kim Crawford, um, they were just flying off the shelves because, again, these are brands, number one, they've already got, they're all brands with great momentum. But this just pushed it into a different stratosphere where as an industry, we were seeing numbers of plus 20, plus 30 
some brands were on them on their own were hitting the forties and fifties. And we were just like, Whoa, this is crazy. Yeah. But that, that was all pantry loading. That was just a little bit of that shock of, we don't know what's going to happen. So let's grab everything that we think we need plus some and, you know, hope we're okay. And then once, once that fear went away and started to die down, everything's starting to return back to normal. Uh, and now we're just trying to figure out what the new normal is, which will probably, this will all normalize itself over the next See, this all started roughly the week of March 16th or something like that. So yeah, we'll start seeing that even out in the numbers here now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where we end up in the month of April compared to a full month of uh, pandemic activity. Right. And you're going to have this shifting on and off. You're going to have consumption mm -hmm. at home rising. So the difference between those two, right? And then minus the pantry loading that you have in, you'll start to see a flatten. But assuming you'll see some level of consumption increase in, in off-premise anyway, and we'll continue. Yeah, I mean, it would it would still take a considerable amount of off-premise incremental activity to offset, you know, bar and restaurant business because oh, it is still yeah. significant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely see that spike and, you know, people are drinking somewhere. It's just a matter of, you know, where are they choosing to do it? And right now, the only choice you have is home uh, or if you're, you know, if you're pushing the boundaries a little bit, but you're under groups of 10, I guess you could drink at your neighbor's place if you feel confident about them not you know being quarantined and everything so right yeah yeah we uh you know i mean it is it is interesting to um walk down the street or or you know bike or whatever in the evenings i'll go down and you kind of see the the small groupings of neighbors right sitting in the yeah like walk over to one person's driveway and they're sitting on one side and the other and you know mm -hmm. i mean i always have this thought of like well i wonder how long it's been since they since they've done that you know, is right. it a regular occasion or is this new? Is this changing people's behavior? Are they, you know, we think we're more isolated, but yet we're isolated in place amongst people that we don't get to see every day, you know, yeah. drive in and drive out. And so I, I'm ex super excited to see what the consumer research comes back about behavior changes or, or what, how this impacts consumption behavior, um, yeah. or the long-term effects. Uh, and I'm sure you guys are as well. It'll be it'll be really, really um, interesting to see what happens over the course of the year. And if we get back to a quote unquote normal at some point, or if it, we do see significant changes, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, our, our consumer insights team is doing a, um, it's like a weekly monitoring of everything. So it's, they're seeing it gradually emerge that consumers, there's definitely gonna be a shift change. E-commerce is gonna become a bigger part of the channel. Uh, new media consumption habits are forming because there's all, you know, streaming stuff right now right yeah i think i think out of all the online stuff that was kind of niche before this that might have a nice little bump after it is probably going to be esports because suddenly esports is relevant in the sense that you can do it online it's communal you can join you can participate or you can watch um and then you've got some people that were maybe gamers earlier in their life that kind of like life kind of moved on and they kind of gave it up and they're getting back in just so you have something to do at night yeah. Um, or, or during the day if they're just, you know, wanting to get their minds off of whatever. So um, that'll be interesting to see where that ends up. Um, I think they're probably going to be the biggest, one of the biggest beneficiaries of it. Um, but then outside of that, as far as just like consumer behavior, uh, I, I think that's where it gets interesting about are people going to think twice about going to a crowded bar that is, you know, 100 people over capacity, but it's the greatest bar, the hottest bar in that area. Um, are, are they going to be willing to do that anymore? Yeah. Well, I um, don't exist. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or, or are you going to be comfortable at a, you know, a slammed restaurant where someone's like, Hey, we're going to put you at tables all next to it, like a bunch of strangers that you don't know, but that's the first seat available. It's like, mm, are you going to wait? I don't know. Maybe you do, or maybe you just decide, you know, we're just going to skip it tonight. We'll eat at home or we'll take, you know, have takeout or whatever. So, um, that, that's the wild part right now is I just don't know if we, if, I don't know what we can anticipate from consumers because you've got one, this is all very much like just internet chatter and stuff like that. Yeah, you've got yeah, a group yeah. of people that just can't wait to get back out again and be like, I just want to be at a bar. I want to watch a ball game. I just want life to be normal again. And then I think you're going to have another group of people that are like, I don't want this thing to come back and I don't want to have to do what you, we just went through for the last, you know, two, three months or whatever. Right. Um, so maybe I, I need to do my part to not, you know, encourage that. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know how that's gonna, I don't know how that's gonna play out. And that's where it's really interesting 
uh, at least for me as like a marketer to be like, what is that consumer behavior going to be? You know, are people, we've got all these music festivals that were slated to happen this summer that all got pushed basically to the early fall, late summer. And we're looking at those going, we hope they're going to happen. We hope if they do happen, that people are excited to go attend and yeah. you know, get, a, you know, again, quote unquote, get back to normal. We've got a big music partner of ours that says, we've been doing social listening. We've been talking to consumers. We've had some focus groups and they're like, people are revving and ready to go. Like they just want the green light to do it. Um, but of course they're, they're like, but when I'm there, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to want to make sure that there's sanitary conditions that I'm, you know, washing my hands, that there's stations for me to make sure I can be as hygienic and, and, uh, and sanitary as possible. Like the days of like, you know, wiping your hands on your pants after you come out of the, the porta potty, you know, like that's not going to be acceptable. You never did that. You never did that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of other people, you know, but come on, man. I, I'm lucky. I get to sit in the platinum VIP area where you've got like, I know, I know. Yeah. Well, that's So once you do that, you can't do it normal. Give me um, just, you know, so we can set the table a little bit, like talk about your, your pathway to your job. How did you get to this job? Where'd you start? Oh, man. Uh, like all the way from the like very summarized version of Yeah, where are you from? Like, yeah. yeah. I know this story, but you know, people yeah. that listen to this might not. Yeah. So I'm a Texas kid, born and raised, San Antonio. Uh, grew up in San Antonio, went to school at UT Austin, um, majored in uh, communications, minored in business. And then I had an internship there that actually was with a small PR agency where they were doing branded communications for Anheuser-Busch and Walmart is the two biggest clients. And it was, it was really weird because it was a five person shop. And that's the reason that they needed an intern because they were just so overwhelmed with the work. They were like, we need, we need cheap hands, basically. Another, another this set is of hands. This is in Austin. This is in Austin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the company or the, the firm is called Estrada Communications Group. Okay. Uh, they're just, they're a branded PR firm. The founding the the founder of the company was actually a senior level vice president at Anheuser Busch, and then he decided to leave and start his own thing, and he brought them on as a client, basically. Got it. Okay. Um, so that that was kind of my foray into into the beer business, and you know from there, after I graduated, um, that helped kind of get me my first job uh, within communications, worked for a PR agency, did that for a year, realized didn't like PR, um, but really loved the beer business, found that really exciting and, and dynamic. So uh, another company called GMR Marketing, which is a sports and events company, had an opening. I did a lot of work with them. They recruited me over. I did that for a few years. The benefit was that was I got to stay with the Miller client who I was working on at the PR agency. And then Miller so stole me away. Of, when you when you moved to GMR, were you still out of Texas at that point? Yeah, the, both those roles were out of out of Dallas actually. Okay. Um, and then uh, let's see here. Then I went to GMR Marketing. I did that for I think about two and a half years, and then that's when Miller Brewing uh, actually stole me away. So they stole me away from the agency side to go corporate side, and I became a field marketing manager for them uh, based in Houston. So I moved from Dallas to Houston. Uh, and that's where I did uh, three and a half years in that role uh, down in down in Houston and the central office there. Uh, that led, let me see, three and a half years. That led me to Milwaukee, where I met you uh, during. That was my opportunity to go to brand, and the whole reason I wanted to, the whole reason I wanted to do that was um, I was in the midst of applying to business school. I had taken the GMAT. I was in the process and um, my, uh, my manager at the time was like, why, you know, are you really serious about this GMAT and business school thing? And I go, I've done the test. I've applied to, two, you know, a handful of schools. Like, yeah, I'm pretty serious. <laughs> right. he goes, give me, give me two weeks. Uh, and I was like, okay. And he comes back two weeks later. He's like, what if I told you uh, we could probably give you a shot in brand, but you have to move to Milwaukee. Uh, and in my mind, I'm like, you want to save me, you know, a lot of money and give me the role that I'm going to go to school for two years for, and then come back and get, I'm like, yeah, I'd be interested in that. And that was when uh, the opportunity with the uh, high life team came and, you know, went to Milwaukee year and a half on the high life team, great experience, you know, working on 
the above the line campaigns, all advertising, positioning, strategy, all that good stuff. And then uh, when Miller and Coors became a joint venture of Miller Coors, I got promoted during that process, moved to the Miller Lite brand, was on the Miller Lite brand for almost three years. Uh, enjoyed it, learned a ton, but also realized like I kind of missed the, I mean, you know this, when, when, when you work on a brand, you're always thinking like 12 to 18 months ahead. Yeah. And you're, you're always moving at that pace and you're not really, you don't get a chance that you have to think about the business in the here and now, but you have to think about the future constantly. Uh, and I found that I was really more about impacting the immediate future. So in my mind, I was like, I like to impact three or six months out, like planning for 18 while a nice challenge and a good learning experience. Like it wasn't necessarily the thing that got me going. Right. Um, so the fact that I had all this background in brand, the fact that I had a background in like sponsorships and entertainment properties and all this stuff. Was um, it also the amount of PowerPoint decks that you had to write? I mean, you can well, the PowerPoint time, those never go away, man. They're, they're, <laughs> I, st I still do. I, I was working on one today and I'm just like, I'm never going to get this done with these kids. <laughs> um, those, that, that I've learned, that never goes away. You just yeah. have to make them more concise the higher right. you go. Because yeah. you get, you know, leadership does not have the attention span for a 20 page PowerPoint. Deck. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, so it's like, take a 20, 20, deck, 20 page message and condense it to three pages. And go. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that's, uh, let me think here. So that's when I moved to the sports and entertainment team yep. uh, at Miller. And I did that for a little over two years, uh, kind of fine tuned my skills of like thinking strategically, bringing up through the lens of a partnership and how you activate a brand and how you accomplish your brand objectives, leveraging partnership and borrowing equity and all that good stuff. Um, and then I did that for two years. And then I, I just, I just, I really wanted to, manage a bigger team. And I really, at the same time, wanted to see if I could get some sales experience because I, I was leading towards a path of becoming like a field marketing director or a director level in marketing. And I just felt it was really important for it to have that sales background. So um, there was an opportunity to go to 10th and Blake, which was the uh, import and craft arm of Miller Coors. That was a cool opportunity. Sent me home for a little while. So I got, I got to go back to Texas, did that for almost two years. Um, and then from there, that's when Constellation came, came knocking and the timing was fortuitous because there was a lot of change going on uh, within the system. And I didn't have a whole lot of choices as far as like wanting to continue my marketing path. It was like, you can go back to Chicago and do a role that you're not that excited about, or you can take a chance and kind of bet on yourself. And, but that would entail potentially leaving the company. And at that point, Constellation came knocking. The timing couldn't have been better. Um, and Constellation Brands uh, basically stole me away at that point. I had a job offer from them and from Miller Coors literally in the same day, the Monday afternoon of my wedding week, um, sitting in the, the parking week? lot. It was that same week, yeah. Oh my God, I don't know if I knew that. Yeah, yeah. So I was sitting in the, in the parking lot of uh, uh, Total Wine and I get a phone call from my then at the time who would become my boss. Uh, Wait, are you down in Austin at this point already? No, no, no. Okay. no I'm, I'm, I'm in Dallas, but I'm literally picking up all the alcohol for the for wedding. The okay. Yeah. So, or I'm picking up the remnants of the alcohol that I didn't get donated. Right. <laughs> better, but, yeah, so I'm buying some wine and whatever. And I'm sitting in the parking lot. This and, is your opportunity to thank all those people, by the way, for that. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> That's a good call. Patrick Minogue, if he's out there. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still drinking some of those spirits, man. It's like, he gave me so much. It was crazy. Uh, and then all, all my old team at Miller Coors who donated to the cause. And yeah, we, yeah. that was a great wedding, by the way. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That was, that was a fun party. That was more booze than I've ever, we put a good dent in it. But even then, even with that level of seasoned and professional drinkers, we still had a lot left over. Yeah. Okay. So you have yeah, this so job offers. You end up going to Constellation. And then yeah. what is the first job that you take there? So the first job, the one they recruited me for was to be the field marketing director for the West business unit. So basically oversee all their marketing efforts on the West coast. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So and that involved, uh, and that's, you know, for the Corona, Modelo, Pacifico portfolio. Um, those were kind of the big hitters and it's all within their beer division. Um, and I did that based out of, uh, Orange County. Okay. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's right. And then remind me, okay, so then how long are you there? And then when do you end up back in Chicago? 
I'm there for almost two years to the day. Um, and I'm literally sitting, uh, when would this happen? I'm sitting in my car, driving my father-in-law somewhere because he was in town for something, he was just visiting. And our CMO, who is now my boss, um, but at the time he was like, hey, wanted to run an idea past you, you know, now a good time to talk. And I was like, yeah, sure. And uh, I mean, what am I going to tell him? No, it's not. So, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he goes, so I've been given a lot of thinking, you know, I know we, we, we've had on and off conversations. Right, you're going to have a big asked, career discussion with your father-in-law sitting in the car on speakerphone. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sitting there going, this isn't going to be awkward because he's going to hear one side yeah. of this conversation. You, well, especially if you get fired. I just yeah, exactly. To tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Corona okay. light hasn't quite taken off on the West Coast. You're yeah. screwed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thankfully it was good news, but right. I just remember, I remember hanging up the phone and he goes, he goes, I don't have all the details worked out, but I want to, I want to get back to you in a couple of weeks. And I was like, okay. okay. So we kind of left it at that. And then just so happens that a couple of weeks later, I had to be in Chicago for some meetings and he found out I was going to be in town and he asked me to stop by his office at the end of the day. And it's a Friday. So I was planning on taking, uh, I was spending the night to do dinner with some friends and then I was going to leave Saturday morning on the first flight out and be home by like 10 a.m. And uh, I, go into his, I go into his office. It was very like, uh, very mafioso. Like he has an envelope. He slides it across the table. And, like, it was very, like it's very dramatic. You need one of those uh, in your career, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he goes, so I want, I want to make you an offer. And I was like, excuse, like, I thought we were just catching up. Like, what is this? And right. he's like, open, open the envelope. And there's an offer letter inside and it's like, blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, basically, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And he goes, he goes, I want you to build our field marketing. I want you to rebuild our field marketing department. Right. And I was like, okay. And he goes, and I want to give you sponsorships. I want to put you in charge of sponsorships on top of that. I want it to be one role. It's like your dream job, right? It yeah. is. It is. It's actually everything that I've been building myself up at Miller Coors for. But, you know, the opportunity had not presented itself. And then here it is, like, literally being handed to me, um, literally handed to me and being told, like, this is your job if you want it. Um, if you don't, that's okay, too. Like, if you're loving life on the West Coast, no problem. Um, but we, we want you to, to do this for us. And I said, wow, I got, I got a lot to think about this weekend. You know, in my mind, I was like, yeah, I got to do this. But it was like, all right, play cool. Yeah. Walk out of there. Yeah. And, you know, give it, give it a good thought. And after a little back and forth, you know, I, I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it, take on the challenge. So they gave me the keys and basically said like, build the department. So we went on a hiring spree. I hired everybody in that department uh, during that time. Um, did that for two years, basically built the department, the approach, the go-to-market model, the strategy, the sponsorship strategy, and kind of made everything tighter and you know, the whole reason he put me in the role, he was like, look, I love what you're doing on the West Coast. I don't understand everything it is that you're doing, but it's working. And there seems to be a lot of good sound discipline and thinking and investment modeling behind it. And he's like, do that everywhere. I need you to replicate that everywhere. And I said, all right, cool. So um, did that for two years, really great experience, uh, really enjoyed it. And then, you know, again, he brings me into his office. He's like, hey, I want to talk to you about, you know, some stuff. And I was like, all right, you know, what, what's up? And he had just gotten elevated a few months before that to the CMO uh, for the entire company because he was only the CMO of the beer division. And then they made him the CMO of Constellation Brands uh, across beer, wine, and spirits. Okay. So really big role. They put him on the executive board. Uh, and he said, you know, I want you to help me uh, branch out or build out our, our, uh, our wine and spirits business just like you helped with beer. And I want to give you responsibility across everything. Um, so field marketing sponsorships, the entire company. And I was like, wow, that's, that's a cool job. He's like, all right. So, uh, again, you know, took the weekend to think about it, figure out exactly what we needed to, to what I needed to make sure we had in place to get it done. And I've been in that role now for almost two years and it's been some really good challenging times in my career. It's definitely, I've had a lot of tough conversations. I've had a lot of good conversations. I've had a lot of challenges that I never thought I would face um this is one of them right now with, with covid and everything that's going on uh, but it's been good you know and i'm learning uh parts of you know i've seen i've watched the wine and spirits inter, uh, industry from afar but i've never been intimately involved with it um 
So learning that that business and understanding how wine goes to market, how spirits is marketed, um, how spirits brands behave like true brands versus wine brands that are a little more commoditized. Right. Um, you know, people buy more based on varietal and, and type versus brand. Like no one's, no one today, at least no one's proactively saying like, what, what varietals of Mayomi do you have? They're saying, what are your reds? What are your pinots? Right. You yeah. know? Um, so that, that's the, a great brand within that space you might latch on. Exactly. But it'll be something that you probably really only think about um, when you're going to like a dinner party and you're like, what's a brand that I can show up with that I feel confident about versus like, oh, give me, you know, right. whatever you would recommend. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's an interesting space because it's very different from beer in regards to, you know, beer is driven by big brands. Um, not to say that, in, that new brands can't come in and make some waves. You know, White Claw obviously did it um, truly. Um, and, and things like that, but it's definitely a different category. It's an it's more of an unbranded category. Spirits behaves a little bit more like beer in the fact that brand, big brands do kind of carry the day, but uh, even there, like you got so many entrants, such a crowded space, it's super competitive. Uh, more so I think than beer in a lot of cases, uh, which, is it, which is a cool challenge, uh, but it, it's, it's tough to keep up with everything. Like literally there's just something new being thrown at you every day and some celebrities getting involved and is, you know, really big on vodka or really big on tequila. And now they're pushing one that has their name attached to it. So yeah, uh, it's, it's very competitive. There's a well-worn, there's a well-worn uh, pathway to influencer launch brands at this point. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of them will stay and some of them won't. And some of the people are smart that put it out there and get lucky and, you know, the brand can hook on and resonate and stay longer than the personality attached to it. Um, yeah. You know, which is, you don't really have a brand if you have an influencer uh, launched product that is only tied to that person, right? Yeah. You know, they're going to move on. They're going to evolve. They're change their living, breathing organism. And so are brands, but they have to, they cannot be the same thing. So, yeah. Um, all right. So this is a good segue. So let's talk about events. Um so I was joking with you setting this up about how many events you've been to. So I made a list of all the major events that I think you may or may not have attended. And I, I, no. I want to, I have a guess, but I'm trying to figure out how many of these you've actually attended um, because you've been doing this for a really long time. And uh, I'm always amazed at your access to these things. So uh, a Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. World Series. Yep. NCAA tournament. That's a no, right? It's a no. I've been invited, but for whatever reason, I've never been able to make it. Have I'm you, gonna, go, have you yeah. gone to like a conference tournament? Yeah, I've done conference tournaments. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. of course. Yeah. It, people are going to get really jealous of it. Uh, golf tournaments. Tournaments and or majors. How many have you been to? Yeah. I mean, I've been, been to the Masters, uh, the Players' Championship, uh, the tour championship. Okay, that's yeah. X Games. Yeah. <laughs> Done the X Games both winter and summer. College football bowl games. Uh, the been to the BCS when it existed. Went to the national championship both for the college football playoffs and the BCS. And I've been to a couple of uh, playoff games as well. NBA finals and or playoffs. All of the above. Um, <laughs> Though my, I still have, and this is more of a personal bucket list. I want to go to an NBA Finals game where the San Antonio Spurs. Oh, we're getting win to that. It, we'll get to that. Win it when we'll, I'm there. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, um, let's move into music because I know you're a huge music fan. So Coachella. Yeah. yeah. Uh, La Palooza. I'm assuming that's a yes. Yeah. Bonnaroo. I, I'd like to go. Yeah, Bonnaroo. At, Bonnaroo, I'm scheduled to go this year. Fingers crossed it still happens. It got postponed from June to October. Burning Man? I've been invited. I've never pulled the trigger. Oh, I found two. I think I found two. South by Southwest? <laughs> Bunch of times. Yeah, I know you've been there. Jazz Fest, New Orleans? One of my favorites. Okay, racing. NASCAR? Yep. Indy 500? Yes. Really? I was surprised. I was wondering if that might be the one that I might get. No, it was it was a long time ago, but yeah, I've done that. MotoGP, the motorcycle race in Austin. Have you done that? Uh, I've not done that one. I've done like a smaller version of MotoGP stuff, but I haven't done that one. Okay, like the lower there, class stuff. Right. Yeah. 
So you were like at 95% uh, of all of these and have made most people pretty jealous uh, by that list. Okay, um, so we know Texas, Cowboys, Spurs. Uh, how many Texas football games have you been to? Mm. When I was in school, does that count or like since no, I just like total, what's your guess? Oh, geez. Well, I became a college football fan when I, the first time I stepped foot in the stadium as a freshman, because I really wasn't a big college football guy. You no, don't need all the setup. Just answer the question. Yeah. How many, <laughs> how many games? So every game, the four years I was there, so that's all the home games. How many home games? So there's what? The market 12, this six, 24, blah, blah, blah. So call it like 50, 50 or 60. Uh, Cowboys games? Not as many as you think. Um, but I was on the sidelines the day the new stadium for the first game for the new stadium. That was really cool. It's total bullshit. Okay, Spurs. <laughs> uh, a lot of Spurs games. Um, it's funny that, like, I didn't go a lot as a kid. I, I started going uh, once the job kind of gave me some of the access. So not as many as you think. Probably, I don't know, 20. Yeah, that's not that bad. Um, yeah. All right uh esports any we we touched on this earlier have you gone this year or the last no year? i've ne i've never i've never gone to like an actual tournament um i've seen it played in like some stripped down version i totally um, i did go this year did you? pretty in minneapolis but I'm oh, okay yeah i know like i wasn't hear any of your other, other numbers but i have gone to esports <laughs> before, so i'm no, every, I've every, everyone like, i've got a lot of agencies that are like you should just go to one and just check it out and, oh it is yeah. Uh, so a short jaunt here and i don't know if we'll keep this or not but like um we got pushed from a couple different clients and other people to say like you really need to think about the space and mm. you know being in my early 40s and not being a, a you know a hardcore gamer like never one of these people you know i've gotten sucked into some call of duty stuff over the years like one or mm -hmm. two things but never nothing ever stuck or lasted um and I wouldn't consider myself a gamer. I had no idea about the online, like nothing. I knew that it existed. I did not know, I didn't know the level of professionalism. And when I walked into the armory in Minneapolis, mm -hmm. with crew from bus and uh, some of our partner agencies that we work with from an experiential standpoint, uh, it, just the amount of people their enthusiasm, how it was set up, like the cheering, how how quick the games were it's like 12 to 15 minutes per set they're yeah. going through that like they're coming from different cities how much it, it mirrored but wasn't the same as a as a quote-unquote traditional sports league it was fascinating um and also like a huge opportunity because we walked around and we we're like oh yeah well the local dealership has got a car here mm -hmm. and there's a couple energy drinks here um but it's a little tough on the Alcbev side because, you know, it's a different audience, but there are yeah. a ton of adults there. I mean, it really isn't that different than a typical or traditional sporting event age-wise. Yeah. Um, you know, the viewership is interesting, but the play-in, like what you were getting to see, which was different than traditional sports, was in the basement of the armory, they had all the play-in rounds going to make it to this top level. And mm -hmm. so you were seeing like the whole spectrum. It was like watching single A, double A, triple A baseball happening right next to the field and saying, huh. tomorrow we're going to, these guys are all going to be playing these, like the Yankees. Right. Or they had the opportunity to. And so that ability of like seeing the heartbreak and like how much pressure and like who was on it and who wasn't yeah. and stuff like, like that was really intriguing and organic and kind of cool and, you know that's an interesting metaphor i haven't i haven't heard it compared to like you know like a farm league system that gets you to the minors that gets you to the pros or it whatever. was literally all there on different floors yeah. and so as we walked through i mean the top four was definitely like the professional league and mm. oh yeah i mean i would yeah if you haven't gone to see it definitely go it when we yeah. get to normal and i would love to go with you if you'd see it because i'd love to see you <laughs> okay here's uh here's a question for you so we're we're back to normal Yep. Normal, normal circumstances. Uh, Spurs Lakers game is happening. Full, full roster. And I will even let you say this could be, we could go retro and say it's like Duncan's last year. And it's LeBron's Lakers. As yeah. Of now. Okay. I'll give you that. 
the Cowboys are in the playoffs, same night. <laughs> you got Spurs, Lakers, Cowboys, playoffs game, whoever, and a Pearl Jam concert all happening at the same time. <laughs> in Texas. Ooh. A few twos. If it's, the Cowboys are going to let me down no matter what, so probably not. <laughs> That's just a given. Right. Uh, is the Spurs game a playoff game? Like, is it a pivotal playoff game, or is it just a regular season game? No, I can't, because I actually am trying to be legit about this question. So if I'm thinking yeah. about it, it's got to be the Cowboys in the playoffs in January. Yeah. Has to be, so this is a regular season game. Has to be Lakers-Spurs, you know, heading into the almost the all-star break. Yeah, big, could you be know, a big like, game at that could point. Could be a big game. Yeah. yeah. And you got Pearl Jam, who's not coming back for another three years. But you're there. No, I mean, yeah. Standing I mean, on the street corner with all sets of the tickets. With everything, yeah. You and your wife can go to any one of these. Yeah, I mean. But you can only pick one. I probably, just again, because of my history with the Cowboys, Spurs, not, you know, not that they're not always going to be there, but, you know, they're kind of always going to be there. I'd probably go Pearl Jam just because, yeah, because Pearl Jam is just like, there's a, there's a timeline now for that band, you know? They've been together for 30 years. And it's, it's a, like, it's a finite resource. It's a finite resource. And you've only got so much. And God only knows, you know, one of them decides, I'm just done with this. It took them seven years to make this past album. And then I, you know, it sucked because I had tickets to five shows before all this stuff happened. And it was all mapped out. And I was trying to work. Yeah. Now I know we'll get it and we'll get it next year and it'll be fine. And, you know, we'll make up our lost time. But no, I mean, I, I think I was more heartbroken about that then i'd be more heart like now if you threw in texas football playing for a national championship i would tell you texas football playing for a national oh well that could happen because it could be yeah Yeah. it could be in january January. yeah yeah so that i would tell you they actually had a team that was good enough for the national championship that could be a possibility that would be like if you if you put that one in the mix i'd probably go to that one i didn't even think of it for a variety of reasons Mm -hmm. but whatever it's fine. I, we, won't, oh. we won't trash Texas football at this point. Um, <laughs> but what I did find interesting, and you think I actually didn't think about this, I did. And, the re- and what I found fascinating is I thought through your career and why you like Pearl Jam so much. And um, so Pearl Jam started out as this big bang band brand, you know, like conquer the world. And receding is the wrong term. So people can crush me on this one, but it was, but they found a groove no pun intended, of like touring fairly consistently, allowing people to tape, like the crowd experience, the buildup, like becoming masters of the show, you know, yeah. instead of just going out and playing like the newest album. And um, I found that very interesting that you gravitate to them as, you know, a band that you love because of also the job that you're in and how much experiential sponsorship, branding work that you do in large crowds. I also, the reason I wanted to do this was because we're not allowed to be in large crowds right now. And I wanted to see attention <laughs> on your face and hear it in yeah. your voice of not being able to execute in this space. So the question I had was really about like, what makes sponsorship and event marketing such a huge part of big brand activations? And not because I'm not looking for an ROI equation playback or the corporate answer. I'm trying to get to like the, what is the emotional thing? Why do people give a shit? Why yeah. do people, in my opinion, sometimes overspend on the sponsorships just to be there because of that thing? What is that? Like, yeah. what does it give to you as a person? And then why does that make sense for big brands? Yeah. I and mean, I mean, I think the, to me, the most important aspect of it is like the visceral experience, like just the fact that you've got people in that moment that are just kind of accepting, call it an energy, a vibe. Like they're just in that moment and their senses are heightened. They're in a positive state of mind. And it, and it's a great place for a brand when done right to be a part of that and to create that memory, hopefully alongside with them or enhance that, that moment. And if we can do it right, it actually will lead to brand recall brand fanhood, however you want to, whatever you want to call it. But if you can enhance that moment and people are like, oh man, remember when we were at, you know, Voodoo Festival and we were having that Modelo 
and we saw that cool face painting thing and then we saw the killers on the stage like you just become part of the story that they tell over and over again of one of the coolest live moments that they had that they share over and over again like that to me is really the value of kind of call it live or experiential or anything is just that being able to intertwine yourself in a in a high point of an emotional visceral moment um that people are going to recall over and over again and the brands that are able to add to it not advertise to it but add to it enhance it help you experience it or add something to that story yeah um that to me is like the that's why brands do it and that's the value that you can get out of it what do you think we lose by not having it in this short window like what is right it now i yeah i mean i think it's just again it, it's that I mean, you, you've heard the stats, you know, there's like, you know, consumers, especially millennials, you know, they value experience. They want, you know, stuff they can touch, feel, things that they can Instagram and, uh, you know, put out there on, on social media and share and share out. But I think it, genuinely, I think it is just the whole like getting, get, getting out there and doing something or seeing something or hearing something you've never heard before. Just the idea of like, again, you're, you're heightening your, your senses in different ways and I think that's what people are missing right now. I think that's where people are going a little stir crazy with this whole quarantine thing is because you can't really get that when you're watching, you know, repeats of the 20, you know, 2014 NFL draft. Like you're not going to get that heightened awareness or, you know, even me watching the replay of this is probably not the best example, but it's a real example. Like I watched the 2005 national championship game on ESPN, I think the first or second week of of the quarantine stuff. And it was fun to watch, it was cool to relive it, um, but it's never gonna match that moment in time. Like, it's just never gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what we're missing out right now is all those new moments, all those new memories. We're not, we're not having as many opportunities to create that. Um, and that's what consumers I think are missing out on the most is just like the general new moments, new experiences, new things I can talk and tell myself about because that's what the social currency is now for consumers. It's like, I did this, I experienced that, I got to drink this at this moment in time, whatever, like, it's all about those stories that people want to have, you know, that's why people travel, that's why they learn to cook these cool days, like, they want to be able to have that part as part of their social currency. And right now, people people aren't able to, to make deposits into their social currency. Well, even to that point, it's not even actual social currency to a certain, there are arguments that it is the currency because of mm -hmm. un, how undervalued the younger generations are on jobs at this point. And yeah. the fact that their pay rate and pay scale is way different than, you know, versus the cost of living, right? And yeah. how much student loans are costing people and how is affordable housing? And okay, um, so we got, well, I'm going to call it four minutes left. I don't know if like that will actually time out, but we'll see it. So you're ready for rapid fire? Sure. Okay. Who's the most per famous person that you've met? Most famous person that I've met. Damn, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of who I've geeked out about. I try like anytime I meet a celebrity, like I try to keep it cool. You know, it's all you know, it's treated yeah, like normal people. I've, I've seen your Facebook pictures. I know you try yeah. to keep it somewhat cool. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, most famous person that I've met. I'm trying to think of, again. I'm just trying to think of who has geeked me out. I'm, so the person that I was most excited about, and this just happened recently, but I would say is like top two or three for me. Ric Flair. <laughs> Perfect. He was just, he was everything you would have hoped he would have, he would be. And I, I remember just walking into the room that he was in because they had him in this little area. They escorted wait, wait, us in. Uh, wait, sorry. Back up. Where are you? Yeah, yeah. But it, I know it, it's, it's probably not. Is it at a current wrestling event? I didn't um, even yeah. ask about wrestling. It was at Super Bowl of all places. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So it's well, it wasn't even it wasn't even at Super Bowl. It was in Miami during the Super Bowl week. Okay. I was there yeah. for a bunch of meetings. I didn't stay for the game. I rarely stay for the game. And uh who needs to we had a bunch of this money. Yeah, it's like unless you're at that point, unless your team's in it, it's kind of like eh, you're good. Um, everyone should go. I, I caveat that everyone should at least go to one Super Bowl because it is a bucket list item. Yeah. But once you've done it, you're going to realize. Ferris Bueller moment about the Ferrari right now, but keep going. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> it's so choice. Yeah, um, very good. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so we're we're we have meetings all day long with all our NFL partners. Um, we happen to be down in South Beach, and we had a nice little window. And we've been talking to the WWE about you know potentially working on some projects together, and they happened to be in town because Ric Flair was doing something related to the Super Bowl experience, and um, they were like, "Hey, we're here in town with Rick. We know you guys are fans. Like, do you want to stop and meet up for a drink?" And like me and like a couple handfuls of guys from my team were like, "Yeah, we want to have a beer with Rick Flair." Yeah, because it's not a it's not a meet and creep. It's actually like yeah. a yeah, it's actually have, sit, have, yeah, sit, have, sit down and have, have a cocktail. Have, yeah, nice. Exactly. So we uh, we meet him of all places, the Versace Mansion. <laughs> the story keeps getting better. Good, keep going. Yeah. So we go down to South Beach. We go to the Versace Mansion. It's under construction, or they're doing some big production, so it's like closed off. So there's no one in it. Yeah. They escort like we tell them who we're who like we're here, guest of you know WWE. They escort us in, and there's this little bar to the side end to the side of the main entrance. They open the doors. We walk in, and literally, it's just Ric Flair and his wife, and our guy from the WWE. And we're not in there more than five seconds, and I hear a "woo," and I was just like, "Oh my god, is this really happening?" <laughs> and we end up hanging out with him for easily thirty-five minutes. And Kevin, I kid you not, he would have hung out at least another thirty. We actually had to leave; like, we had to go to our next thing. Or else he would have been like with us all afternoon. Right? Which he was like walking fun. on air because the rest of the night, like you got to hang yeah. out. Yeah. And he liked yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And we literally, like, he was like, we got to do something. You know, it wasn't like a business pitch. It was, he was truly, we were talking old school wrestling. We were talking about, you know, cool things that he had done. We asked him if certain stories were true. And he'd be like, oh, yeah. He's like, that one's true. That one's got like, this is actually the, the finer detail to that one that people don't know about. And it was just like a really cool moment um, that, I don't know why. Like, I'm sure other people are like, really, Ric Flair? I'm like, no, Ric Flair was the man. It was so awesome. who's the most famous person that you have in your phone? Like, who could mm. you get a hold of right now? Uh, Dana White from the UFC. That's a pretty, that's a, that's a solid, that's a solid response. Yeah. yeah. And I, I say that, I say that quickly just because Dana's super cool dude. Uh, he's a great partner of ours. And uh, it's funny, like, we'll, we'll talk business. But we'll also just bullshit, yeah. Because um, he's, he's he's just a guy's guy, yeah. and you know you know. So it, it's fun because I can have like real conversations with them, and then we can talk about business, and then go you back. Tell him about your kid walking in naked and asking you for. Oh, you know, he would love yeah. that. No, yeah. so like when, when I, the first night I met Dana, we were at dinner, um, and I was at the end of the table sitting next to him. We were having a dessert and a couple beers, and you know we're talking about family and stuff like that. And he was like. Oh, so he's like, I heard you have a new kid. At the time, Austin, my son, was like, I think he was less than a year old. And uh, he was like, sons are great. I've got two of them. You'll never know true joy until you have a daughter. He's like, oh, you need sure. to have a daughter. Yeah, and you know this. you got two of them. So he was, like, he was like, in fact, you should fly home tonight and go start trying to have a daughter right now. Like he was, and, he, and it was, I was just like, what? He's like, you need to go have a daughter right now. And he like announced the table. He's like, everybody, Renee needs to have a daughter. Blah, blah, blah. And it was just hilarious. And so the day that we found out Sarah was having a girl, I took a picture of the sonogram and I sent it to him. And I said, when Dana White, apparently when Dana White says, you got to go have a girl, you go and have a girl. Fantastic. Yeah. So that, and then it was cool. Yeah. He was, he got a great kick out of it. He sent me a bunch of cool stuff. It was, uh, it was cool. All right. Three more. Ready? Here we go. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do these fast. You get to go to one event tomorrow. World is back to normal. Anything that you want. Where do you, where do you yeah. go? Uh, I want to go to that Pearl Jam show at the Apollo that I didn't get to go to. Good. All right. Yeah. What's the best piece of marketing that you've seen while we've been in quarantine? Ooh. And it better not be in uncertain times or no, no, I, I yeah, can't. I, if I hear in uncertain times and in these unprecedented times, I'm gonna just shoot myself. Um I actually really liked what Nike did through social that was really simple, where it was like, if you've ever dreamed about playing for millions of people, now is your time. Oh, yeah. Um, it was fantastic, wasn't it? So good. Yeah, I thought that was so simple really well put concisely written and it just conveyed like a powerful message um and i mean nike as a whole does really good marketing they're just a marketing machine but for 
that just, for me, that just really struck a chord where I'm like, that's cool. How many times have you listened to the new Pearl Jam album? Oh. I think the night it came out, I listened to it like four times alone that night. It's a 57 minute long yeah, album. Yeah, doozy. Yeah. And but I, I, I'd say, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, how many? What do you think? Nine, 12? No, no, we're talking all the way through. Hell, I listened to it twice two nights ago. Because <laughs> um, I'll just put it on as background music. So I'd say um, I'm, easily, I'm easily in the 30s. <laughs> uh, that's good. Um, yeah. what, so you obviously enjoyed it. Yeah, and I, I, it's their best album since Yield. Yeah. No, that's 1998, man. That's that's a long span. I would not say that like I'm the ultimate like Pearl Jam guy, but I really, really enjoyed it. So I was excited to that I wanted to ask you that question. Yeah. All right. No, and I, I love hearing from people that aren't like huge Pearl Jam fans or like traditionally like Pearl Jam's not really their go-to, who have been like, dude, the album's actually really good. And I'm like, yeah. I know. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm glad, you know, casual fans are saying. I uh, very early, whatever that date was, I went out on uh, a quarantine ride and I was like, you know what, like, why not? Like, I'm gonna get on a bike, we'll ride for an hour, let me, let me yeah. just listen to some Pearl Jam and like see. And I was so pleasantly surprised, like yeah. just really happy. So I'm glad you were happy. And um, <laughs> so first of all, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah. it was more than I could have asked for and more time. So uh, you've been very, very generous.